Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 325 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about anticipating your opponent's shots, being able to literally tell the future and know where the next shot is going to be headed before your opponent even hits the ball, or in some cases, even makes their forward swing towards the ball. I'm not even just talking about semantics and like milliseconds before contact. I mean, way ahead of time, knowing exactly what's going to happen. And I want to give a quick shout out here to two listeners of the show. Ariana Chen wrote in and said, I would like one suggestion, and that is anticipation. It's an area I need to perfect, and I bet others do too. And then also Randy Pickett wrote on Facebook and said, I'd like to know how to improve anticipation. Thanks for all you guys do. You're welcome, Randy. Excellent topic. And we're going to be going over the six different areas, six different things that you should be aware of, that you should be focusing on, cues, tips, elements that will tip you off to exactly what's about to happen. And as I alluded to a second ago, when you get this right and you know what to watch, and after a while, when you train it and it becomes subconscious, you can literally start to be able to tell the future. And it's like a magic trick to players who don't know what they're missing out there. There's actually a whole lot of, of data that's transpiring transpiring and being communicated in between the lines that a huge chunk of tennis players just aren't even aware is there. And so this is like tapping into a whole other channel of information. And I always enjoyed doing this when I was in the club pro role and I was on the court full time all day, every day. Frequently, somebody would not show up. There'd be a no show or I would be filling in during a team practice. One way or another, I would be on the court with three amateur players. Sometimes it would be higher level players. Other times it would be 2-5 or 3-0. And one of my favorite things to do when I was playing in in that situation, I loved <laughs> tennis coaches among themselves call this customer tennis. I loved playing customer tennis where I loved trying to find the sweet spot where I was challenging my opponents on the other side of the net, but not outright winning. Some players that play in when they're a lot higher level just totally take control and it's just not even any fun. I loved keeping it as close as possible and then barely squeaking it out right at the very end and kind of pulling us across the finish line just right at the last second was kind of my favorite thing to do. And part of that was using anticipation and reading the the pattern and the scenario on the court, reading my opponents, knowing what they typically did, knowing their position and everything else that we're going to talk about in today's episode, reading what was about to happen, and then in one kind of instance or one kind of particular specific scenario that was probably my favorite, I loved it when my partner in a doubles point would get beat down their alley, so the other side of the court, and the ball would sail past my partner, start to fall in their alley, they would like already be putting their hands up and saying, oh, nice shot, and like shrugging and saying, wow, that was too good. And I would seemingly just magically appear in their alley and just be standing there to hit the next shot. And then the point would continue and everybody would just be kind of in amazement. But it's not amazing to me. 
knowing what I know and seeing what I see, I was able to play sometimes several shots ahead of my opponents and know what was likely to happen. Not even on the ball that was about to be hit, but literally several shots before, I would know what was very likely. And sometimes, not always, you'll never have 100% success rate showing up in the right place at the right time. But if you can give yourself just a 5% advantage and just a few percentage points more often be in the right place and be in good control and have have been ahead in the point mentally, it makes a massive difference when you play that out across a whole two sets or several hours of play. So how is it done? It's knowing the signs to look for, what they mean, and decoding them in real time. And so I will give you all the signs in today's podcast Please know that just because you know what the signs are doesn't mean that you're magically going to start, you're not going to just become Rain Man on the courts and just magically know exactly where the ball is going every time. This takes practice and it takes training and it takes intentional focus at first and then slowly but surely, if you put in those training hours, it can start to become second nature and it can start to become kind of a sixth sense that you, you just kind of have a little tingle that you, you know where the ball is headed and more times than not, you'll, you'll be right. So the first cue to look for, the first sign to look for, we're going to talk about five of them. The first one is balance. And what balance means, said kind of a few other ways, is posture. What is the posture of your opponent like as they get set up to hit? Are they in good postural alignment? Is their spine straight up and down? Or are they leaning? Are they leaning back? Are they leaning forwards? Are they leaning right? Are they leaning left? Basically, what we're looking for here is body control. How poised are they and how good Are they able to control their body and their balance as they prepare to hit the next shot? This is a huge indicator that will give you cues about what is likely to happen next. If they have great balance, then their strongest shot possible is on the table. And also, if they have great balance, great posture, great poise, then it's much more likely that they could change direction if they wanted to. If you're not familiar with that phrase, change direction means hit the ball in a direction other than where it came from. So in other words, if I hit a serve, if you're returning a serve on the deuce side, and I hit a serve into your service box, uh, cross court, because that's the direction all serves travel, is at least a little bit cross court, the ball is traveling at an angle from my deuce side to your deuce side. And so it's easiest and most high percentage to keep the ball on that same plane or on that same path and hit it back cross court again in the direction it came from. And when somebody is in balance, then it's much easier to break that direction and purposefully go someplace else. Now, if they're super out of balance, then they might not have any choice but to actually break that pattern. But what we're talking about right now is intentional shot. And we'll talk about unintentional shots a little bit later. But it's critical to know what is on the table and what is possible for your opponent in terms of what they could consciously, purposefully want to hit on purpose. It's a, it's a big uh, differentiator that's, that's really important. So for the kind of the discussion over the next couple of minutes, what we're really focusing on is what they could hit if they wanted to. And if their balance is excellent, then they could hit 
a really offensive, aggressive shot, and they could change direction if they wanted to. Now, if their balance is really poor, their posture is poor, then more than likely they're going to hit a neutral or a weak shot. And the worse their balance is, the weaker the next shot is likely going to be. It's going to be most more than likely uh, very high or very low. In other words, they're either purposefully trying to buy themselves time by hitting the ball way up in the air, or they're barely getting to it and scraping it out, and the ball is barely making it over the net. So you're going to kind of see the two extremes here if they're in really poor balance. And the worse balance they're in, the more it becomes kind of a, a desperation shot, and it starts to become just whatever they can possibly do that's physically feasible is what they're going to attempt. It no longer becomes a matter of choice or preference. It becomes a matter of survival. And so reading their balance and their posture is a massive, massive cue as to what is likely, what is possible, and what choices they have to choose from. And the worse their, their posture and their balance is, the less choice they have, and the more it just becomes emergency and survival. So options are severely limited when balance is poor, and essentially every option is on the table when balance is great. So that's specific cue number one. Specific cue number two is court position. That means where they are physically on the court as they get ready to hit the next shot. And this could be linked to, to posture and balance, but not necessarily. Somebody could be way out of position and in great balance, or they could be right in the middle of the court and have really poor balance. So these are not mutually inclusive. A lot of times they do go hand in hand, but not always. So if somebody's in poor position, what that means is they're really far away from the center of the baseline. I'm talking about singles here. They're really far away from the middle of where they would like to be. And so for singles, if the ball is in the center of the court on your opponent's side, then you would like to be in the middle of your baseline on your side. A poor position simply means that you are being forcefully pulled away from that position really far away from where you would like to have your your body positioned for the next available shot. So that could be depth. It might mean you're getting pushed way back. You're right in the middle of the baseline in singles, but you're getting pushed all the way back against the fence far away from the baseline. It could mean that you're actually being pulled forwards in an emergency, like on a drop shot, and you're not even sure if you're going to get there or not. So you're getting pulled away from your comfort zone. It could be way off to the right. It could be way off to the left. The further you get pulled, the further your opponent gets pulled, the worse of a position they're in. Um, the worse position they're in, the more their shots are limited, just like when we were talking about balance. So if you can think about a shot that is hit right to the center of the court to your opponent, they're right in the middle of the court, they have equal access to be able to hit either side of the court. It's an equal opportunity to one side or the other. On the other hand, when your opponent gets pulled way far away from the center, way off to the left, let's say, it's much, much easier for them to hit back in the direction the ball came from. It's much higher percentage than it is to try to hit to the other corner and hit down the line, especially when you're pulled off the court and you're having to hit a shot that travels mostly out of bounds and then just comes into the, into the bounds of play right at the very last second. And that's the kind of 
conundrum that you put your opponent in when you pull them way out of position. You open up a very clear high percentage window and close off a very clear low percentage section of court that is possible to hit, but very, very difficult. So, so their shot selections are extremely limited, uh, both because of geometry and also because you just kind of dictated to them what type of shot they have to hit. In other words, if you hit a shot way to your opponent's left side, you close down their ability to hit a forehand. If you hit a shot just a little bit to their left side, they may choose to run around their backhand and hit a forehand instead. If you hit right to the middle of the court, you give them equal opportunity. They can hit whatever they want. So when you change their position aggressively, you limit their options extremely. You, you are dictating to them, geometrically speaking, what is available to them, what is high percentage, what is low percentage. And if you know those patterns and you know the parts of the court that you just opened up and that you just closed down, then you can start to tell the future and read a very high percentage of the time what's likely to come back next. Now, on the flip side here, if your opponent is in great position, if they're in right, if they're in right of the right in the center of the court, or uh, in the middle of the baseline, or if they're right in the middle of the net and they've already approached the net, they're in great position. And that great position gives them equal ability to hit wherever they want. They can choose to hit the do side or the add side with, with equal um, opportunity. They have the same chance, the same geometrical opportunity to both sides of the court. Their shot selections are not limited at all. So reading that that's ha going to happen before it actually happens starts to open up the odds in your brain. If you, if you know what to look for and you know what to pay attention to, court position being a big one and balance being a big one, and in particular, when you start to combine them and layer them, if they're in really poor position and in really poor balance, certain shots are very, very likely and other shots are very, very, very unlikely. For example, uh, just kind of picture in your mind, if you're a right-handed player, you're on the deuce side hitting a forehand, and you hit a really big angle that pulls your opponent way off the court to your left. So they're getting pulled way off center of the court. Uh, it pulls them outside the singles sideline, past the doubles alley. Your shot was in, but they're getting yanked just way off to the left. And they're off balance. So they're outside the bounds of play. Their posture is poor. They're just stretching and reaching for the ball. Here's the thing. Because of their position on the court, they would love to be able to hit back cross again so that they could keep a high percentage shot. But because you've restricted them with their posture and their balance, hitting back across their body is very difficult. They're stretching, uh, stretching. If they're stretching, if they're reaching, if they're just grasping for the ball and barely reaching it, then more than likely the ball is actually going to go straight ahead because they're, they're not able to get around the outside of the ball and hit the side of the ball so they can send the ball back cross court again. So that's a scenario where a lot of players would say to themselves after getting beat down, down the line, oh, they're so lucky. They, they, they shouldn't have gone down the line, but they did anyway, and they, they won the points. And the reality is your opponent, their, their hands were completely tied. They had no other choice. They were just happy they got their racket on the ball. And because you took them so far out of position and their posture and their balance was so poor, the only spot they could physically hit was to just hit the ball straight in front of them and it just kind of barely snuck in for a winner. 
And that's the type of shot that if you're not attuned to these different variables, you might leave yourself really, really vulnerable. And you might follow the rules. You might follow the textbook, as it were, and follow the geometrical principles to, to cover the cross-court shot. But in that particular situation, you, you might be leaving yourself exposed. So that's balance. That's court position. Let's talk about contact height. And this is really subjective based on what your opponent likes and dislikes. Some players love really low shots. Other players love really high shots. Generally speaking, players are most comfortable making contact between their knees and their shoulder. And a lot of players don't like the ball higher than their shoulder. They don't like the ball lower than their knees. There are personal preferences here, and it is subjective. So you have to know your opponent. But generally speaking, on a really low shot in a severe situation, you have to understand that you're severely limiting your opponent's ability to hit their next shot. And that's because the net is in the way. The lower they make contact, and in particular, the closer they get and the lower the ball gets, the net is very much in the way. And so they have no choice but to have to lift the ball. The ball has to go up off the racket. They cannot target the other side of the court directly. Now, on the, on the flip side, when the ball is really, really high, it can also mean limitations. It depends on the player. Some players love higher balls, and it actually gives them a, uh, an advantage because they're good at striking the ball downwards, even when it's kind of an, a, an awkward height. It's something that some players are, are relatively good at. It could be a net shot, or it could be a, a baseline shot, a ground stroke. Either way, you just have to know that some players actually prefer it nice and high, and other players, it's it's they feel weaker and weaker the higher the ball gets. So you have to know your opponent. But long story short, the more ideal the contact height, the more options your opponent has. Just about everybody's comfortable hitting the ball at waist height and about up to chest height. And so if your opponent is hitting a ball from that position, either from the baseline or at the net, then they have options. Geometrically speaking, they have more ability to target your side of the court, in particular when they're all the way up at the net, and they can start to actually bypass the net completely and start to hit directly at your side of the court. The, the more ideal their contact height also, the, the more directly they can just hit at their target. So they can literally start to see your side of the court as they get closer and closer. And now we're starting to combine contact height with court position. And if you combine all three elements that we've talked about up until this point, now things get really, really skewed in either direction. If all three elements are in their favor, they're close to the net, they're making contact right where they like it, they're in good balance, they have good posture, they can literally pick and choose to hit anything that they want. Whatever their preference is, they can hit it. And whatever they're aware of that you don't like, they can. it's totally at their discretion now to go ahead and choose that. On the flip side, if all three are against them, if they're way out of position where they don't want to be pulled off the court or, or back and off the court, if their contact height is really low, about, about to bounce for the second time, or really high up above their shoulder, and their posture and their balance is poor, now their options are severely limited. And starting to pay attention to where each individual opponent hits when they're put in those uncomfortable positions will give you the codes that you need to start to know exactly where the ball is going. They cannot hit wherever they want, I promise you. And it's almost, level is almost irrelevant here. It is relevant. When you put a beginner in that situation, they're going to hit 
basically the same shot over and over again, or at least attempt to, because they don't have the skills to deal with that uncomfortable position. It's not that they can't hit uh, other shots or that there's not going to be any variation in their shots, but their options are severely limited. They're totally handcuffed and tied up, and there's, there's a severely limited amount of options that they have to be able to choose one shot over the other. It's just survival. And because of the position you've put them in, only a few different options are possible. And there's, you know, just to be clear, there's unlimited variations here. So it's not like I can literally go down the list and talk about every form of balance and court position and contact height and everything else we're going to talk about. The variables are basically unlimited. But when you start to pay attention to the main combinations, and as you go further and further down the rabbit hole and start to pay attention to different combinations of these different elements, you'll start to have a strong sense of where the ball is about to be headed. And as I mentioned towards the beginning of the show, even just a couple percentage points of correct uh, idea or call or um, be, being able to anticipate correctly, just a few percentage points more per match, makes a massive difference in the outcome over a longer period of time. So number uh, four, the fourth element we'll talk about here, and then we have one more, is racket preparation. Is, and when I talk about racket preparation, there's two main elements here. One is what is the angle of the racket face as the racket is being prepared to hit the ball? On any given shot, volley, an overhead, a ground stroke, uh, not so much, sir. I suppose serve. It's pretty much always going to be about, uh, not always at lower levels of play. You're going to see variation on a, a power shot on a hard shot. They're going to be closing the racket and on a dink, you know, powder puff second serve, the racket face is going to be really open. And so that's what we're looking for is the angle of the strings as the racket approaches the ball. And also as the racket is taken back, in other words, if, if you think about uh, a player preparing for a forehand ground stroke, and they, they're about to drive the ball strongly, what you see is the racket taken back either square or maybe even closed, facing down towards the court. The, the surface that's going to be used to hit the ball is closed. On the other hand, if this player is getting stretched way out, they're defensive, and they're about to play a lob or a slice, they'll take the racket back with an open racket face. And you know, is it possible for them to try to trick you and fool you? Yeah, it's possible. There's not a lot of players who have... Uh, the w awareness or wherewithal to do that or the skill to pull it off. And that's not going to happen very often. Usually your opponent is telegraphing to you exactly what they intend to hit based on how they prepare their racket. And there's a correlation, a strong correlation between the other three things we've talked about, contact height, court position, and balance, and how the racket is prepared. And so when you start to see combinations of all four of them, now you've again increased the, the likelihood that the shot that's about to be hit is going to be one or the other, uh, really offensive or maybe really defensive. The other thing you want to look for is how strong of a physical position are they in? How athletic of a stance are they in? How, how well have they coiled their body? Is it a desperation, just kind of stretching out in like a, a starfish uh, position with their arms and legs just kind of flailing around? Or have they turned and coiled and stretched their body strongly to be able to release a huge amount of energy through the shot? This is obviously closely related to posture and balance and court position as well. 
but they aren't always 100% connected. So you want to pay close attention to how your opponent is preparing and loading and coiling their body and also how they're preparing their racket face. Is it closed or is it open? So a really strong preparation means a neutral shot at worst and very possibly it's going to be strong and offensive. And if they're in strong preparation with their body and with their racket, then more than likely any target is really on the table. It's, it's possible. Doesn't necessarily mean it's high percentage, but if they're in a strong preparation position with their racket and their body and they're in control of their body, and in particular, if you combine this with posture, now you know that just about any shot is on the table that is a possibility for them. And so you need to be aware of how they're setting up with their body and with their racket. If they're preparing really weakly, then their target options are severely limited. If their body's not turning at all because they're getting stretched out, and so there really isn't much unit turn, there isn't much coil, and their racket face is taken back open and, and really uh, weakly, they're just like kind of stretching the racket out to the side with, with really no take back and no coil or turn, they've just severely limited physically what's possible for them to do with their racket. There's not much racket head speed that's available to them. And so it's very, very possibly going to be defensive. And at best, they're hoping for like a neutral shot. Like maybe I can just kind of stay even in this rally. But chances of that happening are probably not very good, especially when you combine this with everything else that we've talked about. The height of contact, if it's awkward, their court position, if they're way out of position, their balance, if it's poor, and if they've prepared their body weakly and their racket face is open, if all of these things are in alignment, then a defensive shot is coming and you can anticipate it and you can know it's coming almost beyond a shadow of a doubt, very, very high percentage likelihood that it's coming. And so these are the things that I am looking for like a hawk. This isn't just like a casual, oh, wow, look at that. Immediately after making contact with every ball that I hit, I am studying all of these things intently about every swing that my partner or opponent makes. I'm trying to pick up every data point, every piece of information, so that I know exactly what's likely and unlikely to happen next. And this brings us to our final point here. And it's quite possibly the most important. I've kind of alluded to it all the way through up until this point. I've made several mentions about what is possible for your opponent. What shots do they have at their disposal? What tools are in their toolbox? And this is the most important element because at certain levels of play, some players will have a ton of tools in their toolbox. And at other levels of play, players will only have two or three. And they're, they're just very limited because they haven't developed a very wide uh, range of different skills. They haven't developed a very well-rounded game. And so personal preferences and personal patterns are critical to make mental notes of. Because when you combine those preferences with the preparation, the contact height, the court position, their balance... Now, you, you start to incredibly narrow down what's likely to happen next. Every tennis player has a unique fingerprint, a unique combination of skills and preferences and shots that they like and shots that they hate. Every player has a tennis personality when it comes to the different combinations of skills that they have. And 
some players love to follow the rules. They know the geometry and they, they know it's the smart way to play. And so they'll generally follow it unless there's a really good reason to break those patterns. And so you can kind of use that information against them by, by anticipating what they're going to happen next. Other players love to break the rules and it seems like they only try the low percentage shots. And a lot of players complain about that and, and say, oh, that was, that was garbage. Like they, they just slapped it down the line over and over and over again. And, and there's no way they should have won, but they did. But guess what? They can do whatever they want. They can aim for whatever target they want. It's your job to learn your opponent, to know your opponent, to study them, to be Sherlock Holmes and deduce like what, what do they like? What, what makes them enjoy the sport? And then put yourself in the way of those shots. And so if that happens to be breaking the, the rules of what's smart and what's, what's dumb, what's high percentage, what's low percentage, then it's your duty to reverse engineer that and put yourself in a position to hit your best shot possible. And then finally, we have players that just don't even know what the rules are at all. And this is obviously mostly beginners that just don't even know what patterns they're, quote, supposed to play and what patterns they're, quote, not supposed to play. And they're just hitting random shots. And so you can kind of, to a certain degree, kind of throw the personal preferences thing out the window, but you're still left with their preparation, the contact height, their court position, their balance. You can still roll all those things together and paint a picture of what is likely here and what is unlikely based on the scenario and the position that I just put them in. I promise you that if you start paying attention to these things, you start to study the cause and effect, the correlation between how these different elements play together and what the resulting shot is, you will start to see what's happening and you will start to see what the future brings before it even happens. And when you make those calls and you're right and you convert on it and you win, it's incredibly, incredibly satisfying. So I hope you put in the, the effort to go out there and apply what you learned today. I hope you put in the effort to put in the training, put in the repetitions, because tennis is so much more fun when you're aware of these things, you take advantage of them and you convert on them. So once again, those elements were balance, court position, contact height, racket and body preparation, and personal preferences and patterns. Put those together. You'll win more matches. You'll have more fun. Thanks for listening today. If you have a topic you'd like me to cover in an episode of the podcast, send me an email to ian, that's I-A-N, at essentialtennis.com. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.